Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recovering Entrepreneur Show today. Uh, I have with me Miss Kelly Ann Peterson, and we are going to talk about, well, we're going to start with recovery and Kelly Ann's story. Uh, but first, Kelly Ann, how about you tell us a little about yourself and why you're here today? Well, I'm here, Bobby, because I tell a lot of people, I've, I've been there, I've done that. Um, uh, I really have seen so much in my life, I'm sure as many of your guests have. Um, I was a teen mom and I got married. I got into a domestic violence relationship. My husband and I separated for a little bit. Then we got back together. He stopped drinking for a while. Then he died in a car crash. And then I had to raise children. Okay, so now I was raising children that whole process, but he was always the bad guy and I was always the good guy. My kids were great, sort of. <laughs> After he passed away, I realized my kids were monsters. I mean, nobody would watch them. <laughs> even my own family, even their own grandparents were like, no, no. <laughs> they, they come over, they destroy the house. They won't listen to anybody. And I realized like, I'm a horrible parent. Like I really am a mess. I realized that all I did my whole life was survive and parent at the same time. Um, and it just, my children really suffered. No, my kids were just barely three and just barely two when my husband died and they were so bratty. Like I said, nobody would watch them. So I decided there's gotta be a new way. There's got to be a better way than this. And anyway, some people started handing me books, this, that, and everything else. And I felt really um, kind of trapped in the, well, as a good codependent, I should say, I was great at, if you tell me the rules, I'll follow the rules, right? Because I don't want to make anybody mad at me. Um that was not a good choice. Some of those books would just would stress me out so bad that I would be smoking three packs of cigarettes a day instead of two because I was so stressed from those books. Uh, anyways, you know what? I finally started finding some ways. I found some principles that apply. Now, principles I like because principles can adjust to different situations, right? Compared to do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. Um, and so I started getting these principles. I was also went to school to be an early childhood education. Um, and so then I got plopped into some preschools that had great, great teachers who started saying, you know, one of the biggest things is, is that you tell your children, oh, you know what, here, we listen to our teacher the first time. You might do that somewhere else. But when you're with us, we listen to the teacher the first time. So I went home and started telling my kids, oh, you know what, I see, I see what you're doing right now, but we listened to mommy the first time and they would be like, what? Wow. <laughs> well, since, since they were in preschool, they actually started like listening to me. So I don't know if there was magic in there or not, but I really just learned that your children attune to you so much um, as a parent that when you're calm and not in survival mode, which I was at the time, um, they want to make you happy too. And so one of the first things I did, and, and I got pregnant at 52 years old. And so my, my children are 39, 37 and three. And I have some adopted children in the middle in there, but those are my birth children. And so 
you know, with Rosalina, when you have a baby at 52, you're tired. <laughs> when you have your when you have a baby in your 20s and 30s, you're tired. But when you have a baby at 52, you're really tired. And so I had to go back and like test all these parenting principles that I've learned over the years and taught tons of people and foster care and prison systems and all this stuff. And oh my gosh, they work. <laughs> Let me tell you, they work. Wow. And so wow. now even even, even, even wrap my, my head around that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm just trying to wrap my energy around that. Um, oh boy, she's busy. Um, you know, but even now I I'll look at her. She'll, she loves to play games when you're getting her dressed in the morning. And that's great when she's with grandma, right. And grandma's going to sit here all day, but when I have to go to work or anything, or she has to go to school, I can't be chasing her around the house. And so she'll like run out and I'm like, Hey, Rosalina, remember we have to listen to mommy the first time she comes stomping back in. Okay, mommy. Um, do you know what I mean? It, and it's, it's not aggressive. I say, Hey, cause she can actually hear me and get her attention, but I'm not yelling. I'm not screaming. I'm not, you do this to me every day. You know, all these like almost like pressures you put on people, you know what I mean? Um, and so it's just been interesting, right? She's has some emotional regulation issues like all kids do at three years old. And I'm actually doing the exercises in my parenting curriculum that I learned along the way to help my older kids, you know, deal with some of these things because they were raised in a domestic violence relationship. And even though they didn't remember a lot of it, they had a lot of the reactions to it that showed up in middle school and high school and things. Um, and then I had PTSD, which we didn't know at the time. Um, and that slowly surfaced. Um, and so I've, I've done a lot of different things like with Rosalina, we'll, we'll even to this right now, we're doing art therapy. She doesn't even know it's art therapy. She thinks we're just painting. You know, I put a smock on her and I'm like, okay, I'm just really angry right now. Are you really angry right now? Because if you practice emotions with kids, wow, they learn it, right? So she'll get really angry and I'll say, I just think I'm going to use these paints and be angry all over my paper. And she will. She'll just like take her paints and be, and then she'll, and then you can hear her like say little words like angry. <laughs> she makes faces and they're super cute, right? And then when we're done with being angry, I go, well, maybe on this paper, I won't be angry and I'll be able to be like, I was angry, but now I want to be nice to this paper, right? Because she's three. <laughs> and then we'll do something nice to the paper. And it, it's actually neurologically helping her brain step down and emotions. Um, and she does it. So the other day she was having a fit in the car and I was saying, Rosa, remember when we're angry? Sometimes we're really angry. And then we can take a deep breath. And then we can be maybe not as angry, maybe just a little bit angry and maybe then not angry at all. And she's like, okay. <laughs> so, so domestic violence and feelings are things that, um, and PTSD, you mentioned. So these are all relatable issues with both my audiences. I would think that um, in the recovery arena, what you're talking about with this emotion regulation, it works for adults too. I take it you're practicing it as an adult. <laughs> yes, I am. Actually, some of these I learned in my PTSD recovery stuff. So officially, 
I am a parent coach. I have a bachelor's degree in marriage and family therapy. And that's where I started working um, and learning the parenting skills that I had learned with my kids, like how to apply them with other families, right? So this was bigger than just me at this point. And I was actually kind of surprised that they work with other people's uh, families so well. But then someone said, well, that's because they're principles instead of how to. And I was like, oh, that's a great bird. I'm taking that one. <laughs> Love it. Um, and then and the, after that, I wound up, instead of becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist, I went towards faith. And my husband and I became pastoral counselors. Um, and that's officially what I also do. I have two uh, entrepreneur things there, if you will. And as a pastoral counselor, I just really found incredible tools like, like the art therapy and different things. And I teach them to other people because in my own PTSD journey, um, I had a therapist who said, I can tell that you are completely nonverbal right now. So I don't want you to tell me what's going on. I want you to show me what's going on. And so I would just start scribbling on paper and drawing stuff and doing things. Um, and it was just really amazing how easy it was to apply that stuff to so many different areas. I also do like journaling. Um, well, I call it prayer journaling, but it's, it's the sense of journaling. It's kind of a combo journal art, you know, um, in the journaling that I teach though, you do internal journaling, right? So if I feel like I'm stuck in like a three-year-old traumatic memory, I'm going, okay, what's going on in there? Well, I'm scared. Why are you scared? You know what I mean? And I start asking like some of the coaching questions that I learned um, and really pours all that stuff out. And then I can see what's going on. Well, yeah, three years old, of course you would be afraid of this. But at 56 and where my life is today, I'm safe. I don't have to have those fears anymore. And are you okay with like looking around, seeing what's going on and making sure you're okay now? And then, oh yeah. And it's funny because I've been married for 32 years. Every once in a while, when I bump into one of these like really stuck PTSD things that I'm stuck in those memories, <laughs> it'll be like, oh, you mean like that guy that you live with? <laughs> one who walks around the house? <laughs> I'm like, yes, the nice one. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> so you said, so maybe it sounds like there's a high level of self-awareness. If you can identify that you're in a three-year-old traumatic state as a 50-something-year-old woman, like how would somebody do that? Like how would they know that that's what's happening? Well, okay. So I, I would call it a three-year-old because the memories tend to be... I'm just thinking of that particular thing uh, of when I was three is when my abuse started. Um, and a lot of times that's where my PTSD memories went back to is different aspects of that. Um, and what uh, the funny thing about PTSD is it, it kind of lingers in your brain. It doesn't, once the memory comes up, um, it pops around. And so in the pastoral counseling ministry, we do, we teach you in a sense how to recognize what inner voices you're listening to. So one of the inner voices I have is a guardian, right? 
let's say I'm going to go somewhere, something upsets me and I'm like, cool, my walls are up. I'm like, okay, why are my walls up? Oh, right. Guardians here. Something makes me feel unsafe in this environment. So it's, it's just, it's slow. Um, for me, it was kind of slow internally listening to all these critical voices, right? Um, and where they're coming from, you know, and how to, how to deal with them all. And so I, <laughs> that's a really, <laughs> that's a really short verse. It's stuff that I teach, you know, I teach parents how to help their kids with that. I teach, you know, people in the pastoral counseling ministry, we do how to hear these things, how to process them. Um, for people who have faith, like I have faith, I'll, I'll invite the Lord into some of these memories and ask him what his ideas are or his perspective of what was happening during that time and things. And when people who don't have faith, you can still use the basic principles. So I had this boy, he drew out this whole entire thing of a bully situation in school that had happened to him that day. Um, and when we were done and I asked him all this stuff that he was on here, I said, if you could change one thing, what would you change? And so he changed it that he wasn't the victim, but he, there was no revenge in it, this and that. And he realized that the kid was bullying him about being a bad reader because he was stumbling with his reading. Um, and he was saying, but my teacher says I'm doing okay. So I can just go play. I mean, he was like six or seven at the time and he just settled it. It was just really interesting. And if you start teaching people how to recognize their inner voice, like, why am I freaking out right now? There's a, and if you're just quiet and listen, something in your head's going to answer that question. <laughs> like your brain is trained to answer a question, you know, like, where's that thing that I lost? Your mind's going to keep looking until you find it. Now, now I've had too many strokes and in the process of recovering from them, um, one of the things that they always said is, you know, practice some of these skills. You ask the question, your brain's going to keep looking. So if I can't find a word, right? Searching in my mind, I can tell you the whole entire paragraph. I cannot tell you what the word is I'm looking for. You know, a few hours later, it pops into my head or the next day. It's like this cool neurological pattern in everyone's brain. If you can't find an answer to a question, your brain will keep trying to solve it until it solves it. It really does bother the brain. So even if you've moved on to another thing, the subconscious parts of your brain are still trying to find a solution. And I think that's kind of how I stumbled onto the parenting stuff. All of a sudden I started picking up little pieces here, little pieces there. When I would start saying, why am I so afraid right now? Why am I so angry right now? And I could just, you know, take a breath and just give myself a second. I would all of a sudden start, well, you're mad because that guy cut you off and men disrespect you all the time. Oh, okay. I get it. And now I can start having some internal dialogue. That's you don't know this, but I'm um, at the tail end of my second round of this class that has to do with intuition. And in the class, <clears throat> there's 12 basic beliefs um, that we have and, and how 
were being taught to deconstruct the situations. It was really interesting because you kind of just did something that I learned and you got down to the, the root of the belief, men disrespect me all the time, which based on what you're saying about domestic violence and different things, it, it, it probably goes a little deeper and that's how you get to the answer. Is that, am I understanding that the right way? Yes. Yes. And uh, yes, because we're, you know, <laughs> we're limited and, and this is just, um, this is something that I, I work with, you know, one-on-one with people because you need individualized attention and I'm helping. What I do is help them get the questions they need and help them know, you know, that I do, I do more facilitating than counseling, if you will. I'm kind of helping you go deeper to the point where you can. And yeah, and this is, let's just say, let's just say we're dealing with this, this, this men disrespect me all the time. I can't actually bring that all the way back to my dad. I mean, when I was a little kid. And so let's say that this is kind of like, okay, this guy cut me off. It just triggered my anger, right? All men disrespect me. I can go back. Well, okay. And when did this start? Well, this guy did here. And I'm sometimes I can go back in time. Like, okay, well, I'm sure it happened before that. Well, I'm sure maybe it happened before this. Did it happen again before that? You know, those kind of questions. And sure enough, I get down here and I'm like, okay, all right. But now, yep, I got all this. And you're right. These men totally disrespected me. At no point do I discredit the belief systems I had in that moment. Because as soon as you do, you shut your brain off, off, totally off. Um, but if I say, you know what, you're right. And that, that was not a good situation. Then I can say, all right, so that was true. But we now live in a different place. Now, not everybody can do this because sometimes people don't live in a different place. Sometimes they're still being surrounded by disrespectful you know, relationships that they're currently in. But I'm not in that right now. So if I was in that and I had clients that were in that, like, okay, so what would you like to do about this? Right. And then they build this plan. I do not. And that's where I stay away from the, I tell you stuff because, you know, I'm going to say the basic principle is, is if this is making you miserable, what's one thing that you can do to change, make a change here. So you're not so miserable, right? Because I'm not expecting them. Like I was in a domestic violence relationship. People told me all the time, leave this guy, leave this guy. He's a loser, right? It never worked until I was ready for it to work, right? You can't just walk out on something until you're ready to walk out. Do you think that this, and I'm probably putting you on the spot here, but could this methodology work if someone was having an urge? Like, let's say that right now I want to go to the casino and place a bet. Yeah. Because I'm stressed about this IRS thing. I don't know. So what does that look like? Like, can you talk me through what that would look like if if I was working with you? Sure. And I, I can give you an example of somebody else if you want that I have permission to share. Sure. Sure. That's fine. So when I worked in the men's prison, there was a guy, super, super, super nice guy. I won't tell you his name, but I'll tell you his story. He was basically kicked out of his home, 15, 16 years old joined a gang, got hooked on drugs. So not a violent person unless he was on drugs. When he was on drugs, he was violent because he was always robbing people to get more drugs, right? That's the whole system. So he was in prison. He was about ready to get out. I was doing reunification of families with him and his son. And he said, I'm worried about getting out because every time I get out, 
you know, the, I have to do drug testing all the time. I have to see my PO all the time. I have to this, I have to that, I have to this, I have to that. And eventually I just can't take it anymore. And I go and use, and then I get back in jail. And he goes, I don't want to do it anymore. So I said, sure, let's find out what emotion is pushing you anyway. So he started talking to me like he talked to his counselors and blamed this and blamed that. And I'm like, I, I don't really care about that stuff. He's like, what? <laughs> anyways, I kept asking questions until he could get to the point where he was exasperated. Exasperation was his emotional trigger. Now, he personally was actually learning how to be an artist from some of the other guys in the prison and was having fun. And he drew some beautiful sketches and I actually took them out of the prison and sold them at an art show, which was so fun. Um, yeah, the warden over there was awesome. But um, so what, what happened was once we found out that that was his emotion, he was able to learn how to deal with it. Like when you recognize what that bottom trigger is and you have not just recognize it, right? That that was my weakness. I could recognize that I was with a guy who was not healthy for me and abusive, but I didn't know what to do with that information. So with this guy in the prison, we showed him what to do. I found out what was his best way for outlets, right? So for him, it was art. So I told him, I said, what I want you to do is go take your art and put your emotion on that instead of trying to make it a perfect art picture. So anyways, the next week I went to prison, they were in lockdown because of, of a, a fight or violence or whatever. Prisons do lockdowns. And you're just really glad you weren't there when it happened because otherwise you're stuck. <laughs> they don't let you out either. Um, and so I come back the following week and I'm like, how was that? Because he was locked into this thing with five guys, right? And he said, you're right. I got exasperated. I'm like, what did you do? He said, well, we found out that art was my thing. I destroyed canvases for five days. <laughs> he goes, I started with them. I destroyed them. And he goes, and you know what? And my exasperation went away. I could breathe and I could be with these knuckleheads. Um, I'm sure he used other words, but I'm using knuckleheads in, that were in the cell with me. And I was like, okay right so you a friend of mine she was coming out of a very abusive divorce um, situation for her it was exercise like as soon as she could find that emotion um, I taught her how to do crisscross brain exercises so you're using both the left and the right side of your brain at the same time and she would do that until she laughed because when you do these crisscross exercises, actually does kind of make your brain laugh for some reason. I'm not exactly sure what the neuroscience is behind it, but it works. And I mean, it's as simple as you march, but you make sure that you've got your right arm and your left leg going at the same time instead of right arm, right leg. You need to do opposites, right? And so she would do it and then she said, all of a sudden, I, I would do it for like 10 minutes and then boom, I was gone. I could deal with it. I could think clearly. I knew how to deal with the stress. So yeah, these things work for adults, children. Now, is, is this what you get into in your book? In my book, I talk about more of the 
The stuff that I'm talking about is actually more in my parenting curriculum because I teach this stuff to parents. In my book, it's more like my faith journey and the inner healing ministry is what we call it or emotional healing process that I went through where I, I literally saw like visions of myself in those times and then the Lord coming into those and speaking to me. Um, and so that that's a little bit different, but the emotional regulation, the stuff that would help you when you're wanting to go gamble, when you can find out what that emotion is, that is where we would say, what could you put in place of gambling? Like what it can, what, who are you and what works for you is going to be the solution to change that. And so this is why I do individual stuff with everybody. Um, these are, these are great tools, but if you're really stuck, just do one-on-one -on -one with me. Cause I do one-on-one -on -one parent coaching and I do one-on-one -on -one pastoral counseling ministries <laughs> because you can't always, I love books. Books are awesome, but books are also static in their own sense as much as they're helpful. Right. Right. So yeah. do you have to be part of your church? Like do people have to be in your geographic region to work with them? Oh no. I do everything over zoom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't do this through, well, okay. I am a licensed ordained pastor, but I don't run a church. I okay. run a ministry. Does that make sense? And not so, to my untheological brain that's still learning, but <laughs> I just heard of, there's a guy who, uh, run, like keeps the door open at our GA meeting on Monday nights. And he's a lay minister. I never heard that term before him. So I'm still a work in progress when it comes to understanding all the distinctions. Right. Well, basically in the state of Texas, I can be a licensed counselor, which means I have a master's degree in counseling, or I can be a licensed ordained pastoral counselor. When And the significant difference is I don't take insurance and I can talk about religion without getting in trouble. A lot of counseling licenses are limited on whether or not you can speak about religion in your practice. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clearing up that distinction. Cause I wouldn't have known. Um, you mentioned earlier, if you don't mind me kind of bouncing around a little, you mentioned that you had multiple strokes. Um, so do you want to speak maybe a little about that and, and how you are. I mean, when I hear multiple strokes, I think of like debilitating. I think of not being on a zoom call and a podcast with me right now. I, I have all these, um, you know, things in my head that half your face is not going to work. And just, I'm being a little stereotypical and facetious, but I think you understand what I mean. That would be where I would come. So do you mind elaborating on that and maybe how you got from there to here? Um, well, <laughs> you weren't being stereotypical. It was exactly the case for me. My first stroke was a mini stroke. Um, and I couldn't move my left side at all. And actually when I saw my grandson, when I came home from the hospital, um, he has Asperger's and he just screamed for like, three weeks straight because he was like, grandma, your face is broken. Your face is broken. Why is your face broken? Fix it. Um, and I couldn't. Um, so actually what's interesting is I know this sounds repetitive, but 
there was a conflict between the doctors. And so I didn't get the medical attention I needed besides six weeks of physical therapy, which was not enough. Um, so one of the things I did is I went into the swimming pool. I was raised on the beach, so I had very strong swimming skills. And so I started swimming and kind of rebuilding that left side of my body. But I also did some of these brain exercises I use for emotional regulation because they'll work with somebody who has traumatic brain injury. Okay. So my brain is not the same as it was before the strokes. That's for certain. I have like minor seizures, um, things like that, that can happen as a side effect that I still live with. So there's definitely some things I live with. And sometimes my schedule has to be moved around because of those things, which is one of the reasons why you and I originally talked, because I said, if you have a disability, be an entrepreneur, because being an entrepreneur helped me overcome this stuff. If I had to take this many days off at a job, I wouldn't have a job. And so um, it doesn't have the flexibility I need for when my neurology is overmaxed and I get these symptoms back. But it was a long road. I had my stroke, my first stroke in 2015. We're in 2022. Um, and I spent a year in a swimming pool. Um, I was in college at the time and working. I lost my job. I lost, um, I had to stop school. Um, spent a lot of time in my bed, which was really miserable because that made me depressed. <laughs> and so, um, I just, and you come out of this and you make a baby at 52. You know, that's, that's the insanity of it. I, I have no answer for you as to why my husband and I miraculously got pregnant at 52 after trying for like 18 years. I, I have no answer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, you know, I did some of these brain exercises. I started getting my left hand back. Um, I did a lot of them, like the marching, the crisscross jumping jacks, a lot of the big gross motor skills there. The emotional regulation has been the hardest though, because um, strokes do a funny thing to your brain. Uh, I would just blurt out words and I'd be like, where did this come from? And it's taken me a lot of people say five years out after your stroke, your brain starts to settle down again. I think probably because I had another mini stroke, um, in 2017, I think it probably took a little bit longer, but I'm slowly starting to do that. Um, this is part of the reason why I brought all these things back around because I desperately needed them, you know, because my kids were raised, I had grandchildren and I was doing some of this stuff a little here and there with the grandkids I was working, but then I stopped working. I didn't really have a reason to like, keep up with all these skills. Um, the stroke really brought a lot of this back. Um, the emotional regulation was harder. Let me tell you, it was harder to work on. Um, than I am with Rose, with my daughter, Rosalina, it's a lot easier because she doesn't have brain damage. I had to do a lot more intensive type stuff. Um, but yeah, it slowly has all come back. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where people say, you know, all the things that you learned in life, you use somewhere or another, you can help other people. 
I, I had no idea I was going to use all that stuff for me. Do you know what I mean? And um, I hate looking in the mirror in general. I've never been the person to sit there and make faces in the mirror. I've got a son who loves to do that. <laughs> um, him and Jim Carrey, I'm guessing. Um, but, you know, I had to sit in front of the mirror and lift my eyebrows and lift my eyebrows. I mean, seriously focus. And it was just, it took, I don't know, over a month for me to lift my left eyebrow <laughs> and wow. make my smile normal-ish. You know? So yeah, it's been a long, a long journey. Um, I had a lot of great people around me. My mom came and lived with me again. Um, my daughter lived down the street. My son and his family lived down the street. My husband was great. Um, I had a, a best friend who, you know, helped during the days when my husband was working and this and that, and he actually had to quit his job and become an entrepreneur so that he could care for me when I didn't have anybody else around. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was quite the challenge really. And that's, that's why everyday wisdom for families, like I'm on blog talk radio, got 91,000 listens on blog talk radio. And I look, was looking at the dates um, recently. They're all like eight years ago. <laughs> that's because I've been kind of out of commission since 2015. You know? So, yeah, it's congratulations to you for your per perseverance and, and your journey and then sharing parts of it and how to handle this emotional stuff, because that's a big part of addiction. Um, and then you offer this really cool spin on if you have a disability, if there's an obstacle, become an entrepreneur. Um, and you just, you know, you, you reaffirm the fact that most of the entrepreneurs, at least that I've associated myself with, I tend to have a purpose or a drive that are driven from there. You know, they, they say, turn your mess into a message or, you know, um, there's all these little taglines about the evolution of going from like a normal person to an entrepreneur with a superpower based on what happened in the middle. Um, so you're definitely highlighting that. And I appreciate that concept for <laughs> sure. Um, Kellyanne, is there anything else that you want to share with either of the audiences or both that you think maybe is there one, is there one of your emotional tricks that not tricks, that's a bad word principle. <laughs> uh, I apologize. No worries. Um, to me, I'm thinking like immediate gratification. Is there anything like that, that they might be able to take away from you sharing? Um, yes. I would say easiest thing to do if you're stuck right now is look in a mirror, make sure you're doing it correct, but March, right? March, make sure your right hand and your left leg are both going up at the same time. And then the opposite, make sure that's happening first and then sit there and either talk to somebody, talk to yourself. You can even listen to angry music and then listen to mellow music and go back and forth and teach your brain to go back and forth because music also can do this. You need something like, you know what I mean? So you, that you're stepping down the emotion, but do it while you're marching because the marching, when you force your body 
to use both the right and the left side of your brain. It creates new neurological synapses. And that's how I recovered from my strokes. That's how I made myself get out of compulsive thinking. And that's also something I use in my PTSD recovery to help me see past, present, and hope for the future. Love that. Thank you. Um, I totally said, is there anything else you want to mention? And then I hijacked it with a question. So is there anything else that you want to mention uh, before we wrap it up? You know what? If you're stuck, contact me and know that there's hope. Like there really is hope for every situation. And one little tiny step, Bobby, one little tiny step eventually makes a huge bridge Mm. to get you from where you are to where you want to go. Love that. And where can they find your book? My book will be out January 1. Ah, Uh, it's not out yet. I know, I know. Best way to reach me is everydaywisdomforfamilies.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure we get the link out there. Um, Thank you for spending time with us today, Kellyanne. I really appreciate it and your bravery. And wow, you just have a heck of a story. Oh, well, thanks, Bobby. And hey, take care because you're awesome. I know you will. (laughs) 